This episode is brought to you by Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for interior design pros. To find out more information, head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey, and welcome to Design by Wingnut Social. I am your host, Darla Jethro Powell. And today's guest, Rebecca Hay of Rebecca Hay Design, is going to regale us with all of her wisdom and insight on developing processes for your business. And I know I hear what you're saying, Darla, we've had this, we've had this before. We know we need to have systems and processes. But you know what? I love having a variety of guests on the show because their paradigms are always different. What they have to impart upon us is always different. And sometimes it takes that special person, that special viewpoint to say in just the right way that we get it through our thick little heads that, okay, yes, this is what we should be doing in our business in order to be successful. And Rebecca definitely had some insight that we haven't received exactly on the show before. She's terrific. She even has her own podcast, which we'll get into in the show, that you're going to need to check out. And she asked me to be a guest, and I'm saying it here now, so now she has to really follow through with that. Sorry, Rebecca. If you, I hope you meant it. Rebecca Hay is an international speaker, podcast host. Her podcast is called Resilient by Design. There you go. Go check that out. And CEO of Rebecca Hay Designs. What are the odds of that? In addition to running her design business, she helps interior designers around the world find entrepreneurial freedom. Echo, 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 echo. Time, money, and creativity without sacrificing the things that matter the most. Rebecca values collaboration over competition very smart lady, and shares a uniquely candid approach. We did drop some S-bombs. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I liked it a lot. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Rebecca Hay to the show. Hey there, Rebecca Hay. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? <laughs> Thanks. I'm really good, Darla. I always love when I get introduced my last name multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was giggling. I have this joke with my fiance whenever we're doing a road trip or driving around and we see bales of hay on the road on the side of the road, I'm like, hey. And that's what I thought of. <laughs> that's okay. You're not the first person actually as a kid. I actually used to upset me because when you're a kid, these things, you can't, you can't laugh at yourself. And kids used to say, hey, Rebecca, hey. <laughs> and I would cry my eyes out. But I've gotten over that. So it's all good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I didn't make you cry on this go, <laughs> go around. <laughs> so Rebecca, you, you have a very impressive uh, story. You have managed to scale your personal business from you know one zero figures to over seven figures. You have a complete methodology, systems, and processes. And today's show is about scaling your interior design firm because we have listeners out there, maybe they're one-man shows, maybe they're two-man bands, who are just saying, okay, I'm tired of wearing all the hats. I want to scale this business. I'd like to take it to the next level and make it something where I can actually have a life, I can enjoy myself. So that's what our conversation is going to be about today, Are You Game? Always love talking about process, love talking about business, and of course, I love talking to designers. Oh, okay, great. Well, that you're in the right place yeah. then. <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about your start as an interior designer and how that grew, just, just in a little nutshell, so we can give some uh, credibility. Let's set that up, and uh, we'll, get, we'll dig in. So here's the Cliff's Notes, I guess, of yes. my – I think that's what you call it in the U.S. I'm Canadian, so we called it <laughs> Cole's Notes. I guess they were like – copycat versions. Oh, Anyhow, okay, okay. That's a I'm going to summarize. Yeah, I, I realized I said that on a podcast once and someone said, what's Cole's Notes? 
And then I realized, oh, it's Cliff Notes. And they were like, oh, yes, yes, yes. That's what we all read when we didn't read the book, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So basically my story, it's long and convoluted. I won't go through the whole story, but I didn't start. Like many interior designers, I did not start as my first career in design. Like you, Darla, you had another career, very different career, as we all know. And I, you know, I went to, I did undergrad, I did political science, I traveled, I lived in Spain, I thought I might be a teacher, I taught English, uh, I always wanted to be an actress, so I went to film school, I got an agent, I lived in Vancouver, I lived a lot of lives before the age of 30, um, wow. which I don't regret. I really love how our paths can be so unique, and I think it brings such a different um a set of expertise and skill set to what we end up doing. And even what we end up doing continues to change and evolve. And I love that. I think I am a living, breathing example of that. Um, I didn't love acting because it was like a cattle call audition, you know, come in, stand here, turn around. Thank you. You can leave. And I thought (laughs) this can't be my life. Uh, It was so disheartening. And I was managing a restaurant, waiting tables. And so I said, no, I'm going to go back to school again. And do interior design. So I did that. And then I returned home to Toronto, which is where I'm from. And I worked for a designer for a few years. I worked in very high res- high-end residential. I was his right hand. I learned everything. And I did not have the confidence coming out of school to say, all right, I'm going to start my own design firm. I, I was old enough. I could have done it, but I really wanted to learn the ropes. And I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for learning underneath someone else. Uh, not to say you won't make your own mistakes when you do go out on your own, but you do get to see and, and make contacts in the industry. So I went out on yeah. my own. Eventually, I got pregnant and I said, OK, this is my chance to break away. Um, and I started my own business. And it was a little bit different than working for him because his business was multi-million dollar projects and I wasn't getting those. <laughs> oh, shocking. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> um, and so I signed up to do a couple stints in television. So I worked in HGTV. I worked on Property Brothers. I did a show called Income Property here in Canada with Scott McGilvery. And that was a really great um, experience because it was very different from my residential design business experience in that they had sort of systems and ways of doing things. They had budgets. Imagine that. They knew how to budget. They asked me how to budget, which of course I panicked because I had no idea. I'd never done that right. before. So it took a long time for me to kind of sort out how I wanted to run my business. I felt very overwhelmed. I felt very in the dark. I wanted to know how other people did it because the le- who I had learned from was very talented, but way of another generation and someone who didn't need to put together a proposal, someone who didn't need to st- talk about budget, someone who just hit the ground running and started charging, you know, $200 an hour. And that's really nice, but that's a very small part of our population that is, I think, prepared to spend. And you need to have a really big name in order to do that. So I really had no idea what I was doing. I thought, oh my gosh, there has to be a better way. And so I just dove right into personal development, professional development, podcasts, listening to <laughs> Luann, listening to you, Darla, on her podcast. I think before you started <laughs> yours, I, I signed up with business coaches. Like I was hungry to learn. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, I need to treat this like a business, that things started to change for me. And today, fast forward to today, I'm 
still running my interior design business in Toronto, but now I also offer online courses and coaching for interior designers to help them with business. And I do that through my podcast as well. That's so helpful. And I love, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this apart a little bit in a good way. So I love that you um, studied under somebody else. I think that that there is a lot to be said for that. I have interior designers who come to me and say, I want to break in. What do you recommend? I know you just started your own company. I did it the really hard way without any, I made it up as I went along. I did listen to podcasts. I listened, you know, I subscribed to people who had courses, et cetera, which was incredibly helpful, but I made a lot of expensive mistakes. So if I had to recommend (laughs) to do it, I would say definitely see if you can get a mentor or intern with somebody or work for another interior design firm. I think that's invaluable. The HGTV piece is a whole other episode we'll have to have you back for. <laughs> how, how did we get <laughs> from expose? <laughs> how do we get from there to there? So we'll yeah. put that we'll put that in another episode. And you don't say processes, and you're from Canada, so I'm not sure I believe you. Uh, <laughs> I'm all mixed up. I don't know where I'm from. Uh, my heart, I think, is in the U.S. To be honest, I have this well. like passion for the Eastern Seaboard, and um, my dream is to go to Nantucket. I was going to do it for my 40th birthday, and then it was COVID. That's very achievable. I know, right? Isn't that so ridiculous? Like My bucket list is fly to Nantucket. It's probably like a direct flight. I don't even know. <laughs> there once was a Canadian from Nantucket. Okay, so you started your own interior design business. You did have the benefit of having worked for an established interior designer, but the systems and processes just weren't there. So how long did it take you to get up to speed to really working on something that was scalable? Because you started... Like you said, the multi-million dollar projects weren't coming in, but they did eventually, right? How? What did that look like? What kind of time frame? And what was – well, I'll answer that first and I'll ask my second part. Sure. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. When I look back at the time frame, it's actually rather short, but at the time it felt like ages. Mm-hmm. So I started my business in 20 – I don't know what year – 2013. <laughs> I don't know. And by 2018, I was already reaching a million dollars in revenue. So I guess five years. Okay. But it was not, it didn't just like come naturally. Like it was a lot of work. (laughs) Five years is really good. And I think that that's pretty, um, for interior design firms that are successful, I think that that's pretty speedy to get a million dollars. And then once you hit that million, then it really just seems to be exponential after that. You have everything in place. So what were some of the systems and processes that you put into place to start with that made the biggest difference? So the biggest difference for me which was taking my everyday from being in total chaos to Mm -hmm. feeling coordinated. And it was establishing steps, like just having steps, like step one through initially it was like one through 15. Then I changed it to be one through seven with trial and error. And as I saw what was resonating with our clients, because for me as a designer, and I know a lot of designers listening who are maybe earlier on in their career or not, maybe been doing the same thing for a long time, feel like there's got to be a better way. Like, what what do I do next? What happens next? And I would have clients ask me, okay, this looks really good, Rebecca. We really like this floor plan and the fabric looks great. So so now what happens next? And literally, I would stand (laughs) there and make it up. Like, I was like, well, I'm going to go and uh, pick some paint colors and then we'll get the contractor in. And I was flying by the seat of my pants. Sure. So when I was able to tell clients, these are the steps, step step one happens first, imagine that, <laughs> and then two, and then three, and I had it on a pretty piece of paper, you know, you make a little Canva doc so that they could see what was coming. 
it made me feel more confident with my clients and feel a little bit like I could breathe. Like mm-hmm. I knew I knew what was coming next as opposed to reinventing the wheel literally with every project. Would you is it fair to say that keeping it simple was really key? Yeah, it sounds it sounds easy when you say it like that. It sounds yeah. easy, right? Obviously, let's just keep it simple. But when you're in the thick of it and you're picking fabric and you know this from running your own design business, like when yeah, you're in the yes, thick of it and you're doing auto, you're, you know, you're doing floor plans, whether they're AutoCAD or someone's helping you and you need to change it, but then you need to find the fabric and then, oh shoot, I didn't invoice my time. And then you layer on project after project. Simple feels like a unicorn. Simple <laughs> feels like, seriously, like it feels almost out of reach. You can say a unicorn farting rainbows on this show. Uh, so. There you go. I like that better. <laughs> it does. It's like, yeah, okay, sure, Rebecca. Like, sure, Darla, someone's got it figured out. But I am not ready for that because right now I'm in survival mode. Right. I understand that very much. Okay, so at a very visceral level, we're in it. We're doing the daily thing. We have processes that are coming to us in fulfilling a design for a client. We might not realize it yet, but we're doing things that are repetitive, right? That are pretty much repeatable. How's that for repetitive? Um, For each client, we're doing some of the things that are the same, right? So how are we looking? How are we reverse engineering that and looking at that and putting that down to being something that we can delegate or make sure that we are repeating those steps so we can be efficient to scale up the business? And that's exactly it. Like you hit the nail on the head. It's repeatable systems. You're a spark cookie. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Flattery will get you everywhere. Oh, I'll keep doing it. Your hair, by the way, looks so. (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) But it is about, it is about repeating. It is about taking the time to to write down. And this is what I, I teach inside my courses is I actually encourage designers to take a minute to sit down or an hour or a day and write down what is it you do from A to B or Z or Z if you're Canadian. What is it that you do to get from start to finish of a given task or of the entire project? Think about everything that goes into it. It serves two purposes. One, when you write it all down, you see the sheer volume of everything you actually are responsible for. Which is really eye-opening because it's very helpful to remind designers that we are well worth our weight in gold. Yeah. It's like, holy, I don't want to swear. You can say it. Okay. It's like, holy, I do a lot of freaking things. Yeah. No, I should charge more money. I should charge for my consultations. You know, I should be making the money because look at what I do. And interior designers and creatives, especially women, I see it because I've got this community of designers. They're beautiful women, but I see it every day, are not valuing their the, the worth of their service. They're not valuing how good they are. They don't value. And so, and I think it's because it comes intrinsically to a lot of us artists, it comes naturally. And so it's hard to say, well, I should charge for this. But I I just looked at the wall and I knew it should be green. Like, how do I charge two hours for that? Right. And so when you write it down, you see the volume of the tasks and the and the items that you do that you're responsible for. So it helps to give you a bit of backbone in charging more money. And then the second thing that it helps with, it helps to get your ideas on paper so that you can start to move things around. 
and you start to notice maybe this particular task doesn't make sense here. Why am I going and sourcing at this stage of the game? Maybe I should wait until I have clear design direction before I start sourcing. So you can start to move the pieces around. I think with anything, I'm kind of old school that way. I like old school pen and paper. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a question for you. So when we're doing this experiment or this thought process, this thought experiment, I guess, and we're writing down all the steps that we do over and over and we're deconstructing it, every now and then we have a client who's a one-off, who's an anomaly, and we're doing something that's outside of that scope or outside of that step. Would you recommend eliminating that and just saying, okay, now that I have the majority of what I am doing uh, for most of my clients, we adhere to this. Does that help, you know, with Mm -hmm. scope creep and help to, again, because our main focus is on the scaling of the business. So eventually we're going to delegate this out, right? Yeah. And that's something we didn't really touch on yet, but that is the idea. Once you have it on paper and it's written down and let's say every time you you send an email, I'll get to your question in a second, but every time you respond to a new potential client, why why was I rewriting that email every time? And thinking, oh, wait, let me go find, where did I send that email to that client a few weeks ago? Let me find that in my sent box, copy and paste it and tweak it instead of having, you know, a canned response or using a program like Dubsado or something like that where it's automated so that now I don't have to do that. Someone else can do it. And so that's the scalability portion. When you get into having it on paper, you can train other people to do it almost as well as you. But to to get back to, now I forgot your question. I'm like, I'm going to get back to your question and I can't remember. (laughs) So, so when we're, it's like our Occam's razor, we're, we're, we're whittling down our systems and processes so we can be efficient. We can scale. And every now and then you'll have a client that'll pop into that equation that'll have some scope creep or something off that maybe we'll do or go off the rails, especially as newer business owners. So when we have these systems and processes delineated and we have that happen, I think we're going to be more likely to be, oh, that's outside of our steps. That's outside of our scope here. You you know, that's an extra, extra thing. I think, what do you think about that? Yeah, this is a great question. This is actually one of the biggest sort of objections I get from designers because it was my objection. When I first learned about having a system or a set way of doing things with every project, Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I don't think so. You obviously have no idea that every project is different. Every client needs something different. Like some right. projects are just decorating and I'm just doing a living room. Some projects is like a full gut renovation. What about a new build? There's no way you can use the same process for every project. But I'm here to tell you that you can't. <laughs> Because I'm yeah. proof that it works. And I know so many designers that are doing this. And that the trick is understanding how and establishing a set process, which is how you do things in your company from the beginning till the end. And every project should be able to fit into that process. Doesn't mean every project is the same. However, there will be asks, like you said, Darla, by clients that really are outside of the box or outside of the process. So maybe they might say, so for example, my interior design firm is full service design, meaning we design everything and then we purchase everything on your behalf and then we oversee the installation and the implementation. What if a client comes to me and says, well, that's really great, but I want to buy my own stuff right? That's an example that like, would be pretty common. Yeah, very common. I just say, no, that's not our process. And what's really it. nice is when you have it written down, that becomes like your backbone. So I, I always say, oh, well, our process is such that ABCD, as opposed to, I don't want to do that. 
So you see how like having it written down and having a process, you can have a contract as well and have everything outlined in the contract, which I highly recommend. But it's you can use that as your excuse. Oh, no, that's that's not our process. If you'd like to purchase the products, then I can recommend or refer you to other designers. Or perhaps here's another way you could work with us. We could simply do, do the design, but we would not oversee the implementation. One thing I have learned in the last nine years of running my business is that Every single time that I veer from my process, meaning I do something that is not typical, I do a consultation for free, or I'm like, you know what, I'll just do some floor plans for you. Let me give, let me, let me think of a rate. It doesn't really fit. Every single freaking time I regret it. (laughs) Yes. Every time. It is yes. a Amen, sister. The same on the interior design side and at the agency side. Yes. Whenever we go outside of scope or we're like, you know what? Here, yes, let's be nice and let's do it. Yes. No good deed it. goes unpunished. Yeah. You want to be nice. A hundred percent. And you know, going back a little bit, you reminded me when you actually sit and you go through the steps of all that you do and you realize, holy, we do a lot. My value is crazy. We went through the sim- a similar process with the, when we developed our course for interior marketing for interior designers focused on Instagram. And there's like seven modules and 51 lessons. And we're like, God, we do a lot. (laughs) It's crazy. It really is a terrific exercise. And what I heard you saying too, to that fictitional, fictitious, I should say, client that no, that's not our processes. I can refer you to someone else's. Not only are you set and you know that your systems and processes are in place, you're going to have a successful client, you know, moving forward. But if they don't want to do it, you've avoided a client who's not an ideal fit. Hey, interior designers, are you just throwing content at Instagram without a plan or a strategy and you have no idea what you are doing in order to attract your ideal client? Well, I'm here to tell you that we have a solution for that. I am so excited that our very first Wingnut Academy online course, Instagram for Interior Designers, is finally here. This extremely robust and comprehensive digital marketing course will take you from meh to amazing with your Instagram marketing. I can't tell you how many designers have come to me and said, listen, Darla, I'm not ready. I'm not in a position to delegate my social media marketing out to a professional like you yet. I need a more entry level, a more affordable level of a course or something like that, that I can actually use to attract my ideal client and implement it myself or delegate it to an intern or an employee. And I hear you. And here it is. Instagram for Interior Designers contains our exact secret sauce that we use here at Wingnut, strategy, methodology, resources, systems and processes, uh, everything that we do here on behalf of our Wingnut clients to get them the success that you've heard them speak about here on this podcast and on the website and in other places, that is all contained in this course. We threw the baby out with the bathwater in this course. It full Everything is here. Everything they're going to need. There are over 31 lessons, seven modules, downloadable workbooks, resources, and more. I cannot tell you how um, thorough and complete this course is. In fact, when my director first saw this, she said, man, I hope we're charging a ton for this because there's just so much in it. So for more information on Wingnut Academy and our very first course, Instagram for interior designers, head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Check out Wingnut Academy there in the drop down menu and you'll see it in all its glory. Instagram for interior designers. That's wingnutsocial.com, Wingnut Academy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I see that with our students and our, our design community all the time. They're, they, they, I get messages all the time saying, Rebecca, I just stood up to the client and I, I, did, I didn't do it or I decided to charge or I'm not sharing my discounts. And there's such a, a, a feeling of personal uh, satisfaction and accomplishment when you do maybe the hard thing, which is saying no. It, it's hard. I think with that, especially as women in business and some men too, we're people pleasers. Oh, so yeah. we don't want to be disliked. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. It it's, gives us Anjana or me. I know it gives me it still to this day. I was a cop for 18 years and still to this day, I am a people pleaser and don't like to say no to people. I'll take you to jail, but I don't like saying <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. That is actually shocking that you could take someone to, to jail. But do, oh, are, you, are you comfortable with those handcuffs? <laughs> are they too tight? No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I wasn't that bad, but I just never conflict for me was always just way outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's I I get that. That's hard to say no, but then when you do and it pays off and the client's like, "Okay, yes, you're the expert. These are your processes." Not only does that reassure in their eyes that you are the expert, you're in control and you know what you're doing, yes. that you feel more empowered. You feel like, oh, wow, I can do this. I am in control and I do know what I'm doing. And I, I agree. And I think that that's what expedited my business growth is by by establishing those processes, I all of a sudden felt more confident. And that yeah. is like the byproduct. And I remember talking about this with Luann on her podcast, you know, a few months ago. And, right. and we had this moment, where we were both like throwing our hands in the air, like, yes, <laughs> confidence is that byproduct of having a set process in your business. And not to mention the marketing. I mean, here we are on your marketing podcast, and I'm sure you <laughs> see it all the time, but isn't it so much easier to market an interior design business that has an established process? They know oh, how they're 100%. doing things. In fact, I just had a guest on and we were discussing this because on the marketing side, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're getting leads to the website, reach and impressions are up, followers, all of that good stuff. But then when they get to being in that, interior designers' hands, if their systems and processes aren't locked tight, uh, they are having some stuff fall through the cracks or client potential clients fall through the cracks. So there's there's a little bit of disconnect there if on the other side, those systems and processes aren't put together. It is so, so very important. Yeah, it's it, like it makes having, it makes all the difference. You want to have your house in order. It's you can bring all the people in, but if when they get there, it's chaos. They never know what's coming up next. They feel dissatisfied. Like I had a client sit me down and say, and it's like my big lemon job. I won't go into the whole job, but you can imagine lemon job, everything went wrong. And they sat me down. I went to take them a bottle of champagne after the fact. It was a big decorating job. And I thought they were going to be my ticket to like all these high-end Toronto clients because they were a referral from someone who I'd worked with, with the designer I'd worked with. I was like, oh my God, I've made it. But my processes were so loose and chaotic and they sat me down and I remember being nervous. You know, you know, when you're not like, you know, when you're not, you're yep. not acing it, right? Yep. Like, you know, sure do. your gut tells yep. you. And I went and I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't like confrontation, first of all. So I felt really icky, but I went anyways, had a card and they sat me down. I'll never forget it. And they were so lovely. And they said, Rebecca, we just wanted to give you some feedback that's constructive because if it was our business, then we feel that we would want to know. And I thought, oh, okay. my God, here we go. And they said, <laughs> like, I can picture this, this scene or this scenario as clear as day. They said, you are lovely. We really like you as a person. The designs that you did are beautiful. 
But to be perfectly honest, your process was loose and chaotic. We were over budget and we really did not enjoy the experience of working with you and your team. Wow. That had to hurt. Whoo, did it hurt? <laughs> yeah. And of course, my initial reaction, not to them, but in my head is defense, right? I felt defensive. Well, they were they were difficult clients and they didn't understand. And they, they, they pointing the finger at them when really after doing soul searching, after I left their house, I knew there were team members that I knew were not the right fit. Our process, I had told them it was going to be 40000 I think, but we hadn't mm-hmm. actually picked everything. And I didn't really know pricing and ended up being like 80000 Like it was <laughs> like for like who could decorate a house for 40000 Even 80000 now, I'm like, that's crazy. You I can't know. do that. <laughs> but it was a real aha moment where I realized it doesn't matter how great the client is that comes to you. It doesn't matter how good you are at your craft, the design. There's tons of great designers out there. The difference is the experience you give your clients and how you make them feel at the end. And that was my big turning point where I got super serious and I spent too much time and money on really honing in, typing everything out, putting it into a sauna, getting super clear on my process. And then like that, things just started to change. The marketing, the coordination. I started to get better hires because I was able to show them what I was looking for. I started working with big builders, like everything started to shift. And you know, I'm sure that all of us have a similar story. I have had a client sit me down and say, listen, uh, the design is gorgeous. Working with you guys has, you know, the room turned out great, but there's a couple things that I'd like to point out and give you some constructive feedback. And of course, my my solar plexus was in knots. <laughs> but that, again, uh, you don't forget that kind of feeling, right? And that is a huge motivator to make sure that you're getting your, your ducks in a row mm-hmm. for systems and processes. So at what point are we testing these, making sure they're good to go, they're solid systems and processes? Are we delegating them? Are we scaling up? Are we growing our business? Do we have to grow our business? No, you do not have to grow your business. It is completely dependent on the individual. I have designers inside our community that want to scale, want to grow a team. I used to be Mm. that person. I I thought I wanted 50 employees. Turns out managing people (laughs) is a whole other ballgame. Another topic for another time. But (laughs) it was interesting to see as these designers started coming through because I teach process in my course and they would come through the course and there would be some designers that would say, Rebecca, I don't really want a team. I don't want to scale, but I Mm -hmm. really want to improve and have great clients. And there'll be others that said, I really, how do I grow a team? And I started, I started to learn actually from teaching designers that not everybody wants that Kelly Wurstler dream or that you fill in the blank big designer with the big team. You don't have to scale, but you do have to have a process. So it's not like you need process to scale. You do need it to scale. But you also need it in order to have a successful business where you can get raving fan clients, the ones that will refer you. Like that client that sat me down never referred me once to anyone. So much for that. (laughs) But thank goodness for them, right? Because they did teach you a valuable lesson in making that shift and the difference in looking into that a little bit closer. So everything happens for a reason. A hundred percent. That's what I think life is. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the money part before... 
I'm happy to talk okay. about money. I like talking. I don't like talking about money, but I like talking about money <laughs> because this was kind of another side benefit of getting a process in place. So many, you know, so many designers, including myself, want bigger projects with bigger budgets, right? Yeah. And yes, marketing is a key element when it comes to that, and that's your expertise. But when I had my process and saw how much we did, I was able to charge more money. Mm -hmm. And part of having a process is also understanding what is your payment structure? What is your pricing model? And knowing, and once you have steps and you know exactly how you run a project, you know when you're going to collect the money so you can tell clients in advance. I always recommend, you know, collect as much as you can up front. But it's once you feel like a professional, back to what you said earlier, Darla, where you said you feel more professional, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, look at me. I have this fancy process. This is the Rebecca Hay way or the Darla Powell like way of doing things. Then people see you as higher level of expertise. They value your professionalism. You feel more confident. And so you can start charging more money. There's a designer in our community called Jocelyn um, Pulse, and she's from Connecticut and August Olivantier is. And she took our course, Power of Process, a few years ago. And she was only about a year into her business. And she was running, she had a family of five boys under the age of like seven or something craziness oh, wow. like that. Very busy, but <laughs> wow. very driven women. She's on fire. You guys should follow her on Instagram. But when she came to me, she was spending so much time in her business um, and she wanted to hire, but didn't think she had enough money to hire. Like how many designers feel that? They don't have the money because they want to hire and it feels like the chicken or the egg. Like I'm never going to have enough monies to hire, but if I don't hire, I can't scale. And it yeah. feels like a cycle, but it doesn't have to be. She was charging, she was charging for her consultation, which a lot of designers don't. I highly recommend you do. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, but about valuing the expertise and what you do. But she was charging $125. She com came through our sort of program wanting bigger budgets, wanting to do more, didn't feel like the clients she was attracting with her marketing were the ones that she really wanted to work with. And so she immediately started charging $450 for her consultation, like halfway through taking our course, and immediately started attracting a different clientele. Yeah. And that was just sort of the first step in her process and just making that small tweak. And she's also since made lots of other changes in how she, her billing structure and her marketing and how she talks about process and the steps and what it means to work with her. But that one change of upping her consultation rate, because all of a sudden she felt, like you said, more professional. Also, she was able to see what other designers are doing because we're all kind of in this like silo, like it kind of feels like we're in this black hole, like what's going on around us? Because sometimes people don't share. Um, and she said, oh my gosh, everyone else is charging more than that. I need to up my rate. And yeah. all of a sudden she was getting full home renovations by making one small, simple tweak. So the money aspect is not the reason I started to do process, I just felt chaotic and I like to be in control of things because I'm a control freak and I like to be organized. But then the offshoot of that is that you can charge more money and people are more than willing and happy to pay. I don't know if you've seen that in your experience, Darla. I have 100% seen that. Every time I raise my prices, I get better clients and I get more clients. It is, it's a differentiator. Yes. For sure. Uh, it, absolutely. And when I was an interior designer doing the same, I started out at like 75 bucks an hour. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, my clientele was uh, lovely. 
Lovely. Let's just say that. Um, They're listening right now. (laughs) (laughs) But they got lovelier. Yes, um, yes. As I learned more and started charging for what my worth is. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rebecca, this is there's been a lot of information here. I definitely want to have you back to discuss the HGTV angle. It's too much for one show. But uh, is there anything that we forgot to say before we get into the fire round? Ooh, the fire round. Um, I'll just give one last uh, – I'm prepared for that, by the way. I'm excited. Good, good, good. One last sort of nugget of wisdom, if you will. I always like to end my podcast, which is Resilient by the Wine. By, by the Wine. Wow. I don't drink wine while I drink, while I drink. Um, actually, I'm actually taking a hiatus from drinking right now. So I don't know where that came from. <laughs> that, I hope you're not having a stroke. <laughs> Maybe we need to edit that out. I don't know. But clearly the not drinking has caused me to think about it more. Um, resilient by design. But I always do this thing at the end. And hopefully, Darla, you could be a guest on my podcast. I would love to. I would to, love yeah. that. And yeah. I always ask for a nugget of wisdom. And so uh, my nugget of wisdom here for designers would be to stop sharing your discounts. Stop passing on your discounts. Please, please, please. That same designer that I mentioned, Jocelyn, who who did my course, um, Power of Process, a couple years ago, heard me ta- heard me talk about this like, Till I was blue in the face. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do the math to see how much money I left on the table last year by <laughs> passing on my discounts to clients. Right. And she did the math. And do you know how much money she was giving away? $30,000. Wow. Think I'll about take some money. what you could do with $30,000. <laughs> now yeah. that's her example, but she said, I could have hired somebody. Imagine I could have paid an assistant. So stop sharing your discounts. You are worth every single penny. Those are not discounts to be shared with the public. If they were, they would be able to get them without working with you. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly right. And so many designers still do it because they feel that they're double dipping if they don't. Like, how do I charge design fees and also charge for a product? That just doesn't make sense. And they can't wrap their head around it. So that's something that they would learn to wrap their head around if they go to check you out, right? Yeah. And it's not double dipping. I love that you said that because so many people are like, oh, is it double dipping? And if someone says that to me, this is what I say. So you can, your listeners can say this too, (laughs) because this is the truth. I say, okay. no, we no longer share our discounts. We used to share our discounts, but I found that it wasn't a profitable business model. And it shuts <laughs> them up every time because your clients don't want to make you lose money. Yeah, that's true. Or, or maybe they do. They don't care. But well, yeah, no, no, no. if they no, do, no. then they're not the client for you. <laughs> Send them on I the love way. That. Simple and uh, straight to the point. All right. Now, hey, Rebecca, hey. I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? Da, da, da. Yes, I am. Let's do it. Da, da, da. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Collaboration over competition. Love it. You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have one food forever. What's it going to be? It's not one food, but it's a charcuterie board. Does that count? I, I will take that. <laughs> we will accept that answer. Covers all <laughs> it's the food bases, all the food groups. <laughs> it's a dish of sorts. Okay, fine. Right? Cheese. Just give me the cheese. Oh, okay, cheese it is. <laughs> so we're going to need some roughage. But okay, that's your problem. Well, there could be olives, (laughs) there could be meats, there could be grapes. I mean, that would be Mm. ideal because then you could really, you would live longer. that sounds so good. I'm starving right now. I could totally go for that. (laughs) Last but not least, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally. My first thought always goes to this book, which was the first book that I read on business development, The Mm E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's, I think, The E-Myth Revisited. Read that book. Every business owner, small business owner should read that book. 
Rebecca, hey, please tell the listeners where they can go to find out more about you, and we'll call it a day. The best thing you could do is head on over to my podcast, since you're here listening to a podcast. So wherever you listen to Darla, you can listen to me at Resilient by Design. And I'm on Instagram. You can find me there at Rebecca Hay Designs. All right. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Darla. It's been very fun. So, hey, <laughs> what did you think of Rebecca? Hey, <laughs> is that getting old yet? All right, so, Rebecca, you can tell she really has her together. All of her ducks are in a row. What's another crazy uh, uh, metaphor I can use? Is that what it is? Metaphor? What is that even called? I have no idea anymore. Jerry Cerruti, what is that called? With her systems and processes. And who has not been in that place where a client has sat you down and said, you know what? Love you. Great. Would invite you over to a cocktail party. Work with you again? Not so much. If you're not one of those people, count yourself lucky because I think it happens to all of us. We all have those clients or those those jobs, those projects that is like, but we learn from them. We learn from them. And what do we do? Let me hear it. Yes, we create systems and processes. If you are lacking direction on how to deconstruct that or know exactly what it is that you're looking at, or if you want some guidance from some other interior designers, which is incredibly freaking helpful, made a huge difference for me when I started networking with other designers at events like Luann Live, Luann Nagara, who we referred to in the show, um, a well-designed business podcast. If you've been living under a rock, I highly check that out. It made a, the biggest difference. In my life, really. <laughs> but they, yes, Luann, you are, you made the biggest difference in my life, but she knows this. Um, from going from being a cop to interior designer, long story, <clears throat> another show, listen to my episodes on her show, you can hear the whole shebang. On there, I forget the episode numbers, but they were amazing. <laughs> Anywho, where was I going with that? Okay, so if you need some of that support, that guidance, go, go check out Rebecca. All of her links, Rebecca Hay. Uh, will be in the uh, episode for this podcast at wingnutsocial.com. Make sure to check out Wingnut Academy. Check out that course. It is worth every freaking penny. And I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example. And this is for full service clients that we work with. But we have two relatively new full service clients who just signed their very first client from Instagram and paid for their entire marketing for the year from one client. They have the rest of the year. They have the rest of the year for gravy clients from their social media marketing. It works. And how we do it is in this course. It's worth every penny and tax deductible, if I do say so. Wingnut Academy, wingnutacademy.com, wingnutsocial.com. That's it for today. Remember, until next week, to get out there, get freaking uncomfortable, and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Designed by Wingnut Social. But that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, your digital marketing tightly fastened. You took these courses, you learned kind of the hard way about systems and processes in your entire So you took these courses and you learned about systems and processes kind of the hard way by doing your own research. So you did not learn this from the, the, ah, my heater just kicked on. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay. I had two, but I'm going to go with this one. In <laughs> I'm clearly not ready. Whew. How do you spell that? <laughs> 
it's another language. Let me translate that to English for you. And today we have guest Rebecca Hay of Rebecca. It has. <clears throat> you guys have waited forever for. Good boy, Mango.